I trust you are all slowly being enthralled in the grip of the Christmas spirit. At our house, at my place, we had, we had threatened to set up the Christmas tree over the weekend, but somehow we managed to lose our way. But the weekend isn't over yet. So we're going to spend a few moments meditating on a portion of Scripture. And I see we've got some little ones with us, so I'll try to be within 20 minutes. Every year around this time, we have nativity plays. Um, in the last two weeks, um, some of the, the preschoolers or preschools in the, in the vicinity have used our premises at the back. And so they set up their nativity plays, and, and invariably in these nativity plays, we have all of the main characters. Someone gets to be Joseph, someone gets to be Mary, the one who draws the short straw is the donkey, <laughs> there are shepherds, and, um, and then we almost always have three wise men. And then the person who's drawn the second shortest straw gets to be the camel. And these wise men usually wear shiny costumes and they make their way from afar at the back of the sanctuary to the front bearing gifts. And, and this somehow is the picture that we have of our nativity. And so it has become hard to imagine a nativity scene without these three characters, without the three wise men. And so we know that they are called magi, wise men, and sometimes called even kings. Matthew is the only gospel writer who actually mentions them, and his account is rather vague as well. And so there seems to be a lot of intrigue around these men. And so I'd like us to consider these folk for the next few minutes and see what we can learn about them and what lessons we can take away as we start to prepare our hearts and our minds to celebrate Christmas. And so we're going to read the account in Matthew. And... Um, Matthew mentions them and we'll see what we can draw from that. So Matthew chapter 2 and the first 12 verses of chapter 2, they read as follows. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, traditionally wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, 
in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another way. Now, most of what we associate with the Magi, as they are called, is actually from early church traditions. Most have assumed that there were three of them since they brought three very specific gifts, but the Bible actually doesn't give us a number. In fact, it may have been a very large group of people who had traveled there in caravan with porters carrying supplies, cooks to make food, people looking after pack animals, clothing, tents, etc., etc., as the journey that they would have taken may have taken them many weeks. Now, as the years passed, our knowledge and our understanding of these wise men, these magi, seems to have been increasingly embellished. And people would, over years, add on little tales to the mystery of who these men actually were. By the third century, they were viewed as kings. By the sixth century, they had earned for themselves names. Their names were Balthazar, Caspar, and Malchior. And relics attributed to them emerged in the 4th century and are now actually being kept in the Cologne Cathedral in Germany. And part of the artifacts include bones that are said to be those of the wise men, of the Magi themselves. Here we see that it's actually a gold sarcophagus, and it's placed above the high altar, on that picture on the top there. And in the cathedral, it was placed in this high altar, and the cathedral was actually built specifically to house this shrine to the wise men. Now, no one can prove that the bones are these, but no one can prove that they aren't these either. Now, these are interesting traditions, but what do we really know about these folk? 
The name Magi is actually a transliteration of a Persian word which was the name of a very select sect or tribe of priests. And they were actually highly influential, respected, learned men in their Persian context. We actually get our English word magic from the word magi, which is from the Greek word magos. The ancient magi were credited with profound and extraordinary religious knowledge said to be expert in the interpretation of dreams. And so it was their apparent gifting in mystical things in ancient times that elevated them to holding both priestly as well as governmental office. And so one of the prime duties of the Magi, the Magi sect, the Magi tribe, included the absolute choice and election of who would rule the kingdom. And so these Magi were effectively king-makers, men who made the decision of who would be the next king of a nation. And so it was therefore a group of Persian Parthian kingmakers who entered Jerusalem in those days of the reign of Herod, looking to see who the next king would be. Now the question of why they were there is also very interesting. The journey from Persia, which is probably modern-day Iran or Iraq, would have taken them many weeks to accomplish, not to mention that it would have cost them a substantial amount of money to move teams of people with supplies and gear all that way. Now, when we read about these magi in Matthew, interestingly, This is not the first time that they are mentioned in Scripture. They are actually mentioned in the book of Daniel. Now, in the book of Daniel, we know that Daniel was written during the Israelites were in captivity in Babylon. And while they were there under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar, after a series of events, involving Daniel's ability to interpret dreams when nobody else could, Daniel was elevated to be a ruler, an official of great power over the kingdom of King Nebuchadnezzar. And so this promotion that Daniel had made him the chief or lord over all the other wise men in Babylon at that time. We read about that in Daniel chapter 2, verses 48, chapter 6, verses 2, and chapter 5, and verse 11. And so the Magi that we read of here in Matthew were part of the lineage of those wise men under Daniel's rule generations earlier. 
And so we could speculate that understanding the 70 weeks prophecy of Daniel chapter 9 verses 20 to 27, that Daniel could have passed along to the Magi the need to watch for a sign for strange tidings in Judea around this time, as Daniel's prophecies revolve around the theme of a coming king for Israel. And so even after the Israelites were released from captivity in Babylon and some of them returned to Jerusalem, the prophecy of a coming king who would be born in the future remained in the east amongst the Magi. It is most probable then that the Magi who visited young baby Jesus would come to see this prophecy being fulfilled and to pay homage and honor to the one who was to be not only the king of the Jews, but unknowingly to them, also the king of all kings. Now there's lots more details and questions that we can get into, but we'll park that for now. I would like for us just to consider three things that we can learn from these very interesting, intriguing um, group of people. Things that we can learn about them and then, and then we'll close. The first element is this. God can reach anyone, anywhere, with anything, at any time. We would have thought that the people of Israel would have received Jesus eagerly. After all, Jesus was mentioned in Old Testament prophecy. And we would have thought that pagan people would reject a Jewish savior outright. Yet Israel ended up having little interest in Jesus. But here we see these pagan astrologers in a distant land with nothing but a single prophecy that was given some 600 years earlier and a star to guide them. And that was enough. God used those few elements to reach people most thought were beyond reach. Secondly, these wise men came to worship him and did not allow themselves to become distracted. We see that in verse 2. Right from the beginning, the Magi made the purpose of their journey there very clear. They say in verse 2, We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So often during the Christmas season, we find ourselves being distracted in different ways by all the trappings of the holidays. And we find ourselves missing out on the call to worship Jesus. 
And sometimes God gives us a dream to pursue. Our personal star in the East. And we often find ourselves having to deal with our own King Herod, who tries to distract us along the way. And in this story, we see that the Magi proved to live up to their name and be wise men. And they were able to discern that King Herod had no intention of furthering their mission. And so this Christmas, let us be wise men and wise women and focus on worshipping Jesus and not allow ourselves to become distracted. Let us stay focused on our personal star in the East that is sent by the Saviour. Our final point is this. These men returned home another way. We see that in verse 12. Genuine worship will transform us and cause us to walk on a different path than we started on. And if necessary, God may even give us supernatural direction or perhaps be divinely warned in a dream. But most often God speaks to us through his word. And so today, perhaps for somebody here, there is an opportunity for you to return home in a different way. And so perhaps this evening, as we are thinking towards Christmas, perhaps you are not in a state yet where you know him personally. And so maybe there was a star in the east that led you here this evening. And so let me say to you that there is an opportunity for you this evening that if you hear him call you to respond and to say to him this evening, Lord, here I am and I am willing to return in another way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your Son to come and to be near to us. You sent him as a Son of Man. Thank you that he is so, in a very real sense, relatable to us. Thank you, Lord, that you reach out to anyone, anywhere, with anything, at any time. Thank you that you call anyone to come and to be sons and daughters of the Most High King. Thank you that you make it possible for us to return home in another way. In Jesus' name, amen.